I'm Rick Smith, and I've been here at Bethel since 2016, enjoying this great church on this spectacular place off the northern tip of Door County, Wisconsin. This message comes from our Sunday morning service here on the island, and it's geared towards discovering what the Bible has to say to us in our everyday lives. So, God's blessing on you, and thanks for joining with us wherever you are today. Well, over this month, uh, we have been doing something on Sundays and, and kind of find it's fulfilling and, and completion here tonight. We've been looking at the Gospels. And each of the Gospels, which are the first books of the New Testament, they are introductions to Jesus. And, and all the books are written by people that want to show us, this is who Jesus is, this is what it's about. And, and yet all of them are very different. And we've looked at Matthew, who is the tax collector. He was a disciple of Jesus, and, and he begins it with, well, like an accountant might do so. He, he has a genealogy, and then he has it all ordered, and he's got little ways to figure things out. Fourteen generations from Abraham to David, and then fourteen generations from David down to the exile, and then from the exile to Jesus' birth, another fourteen generations. And, and uh, it's orderly for him. And then he brings Joseph's story and how Joseph, when he discovers that his bride-to-be is pregnant, does what you might think he would do, wants to get out of this situation. But uh, and he had in mind to divorce her quietly, but then is convinced uh, an angel comes and says, know what? You know what, Joseph? She's actually telling the truth. This is what happened. God has touched her. And so Joseph begins and, and takes care of this woman and becomes his wife and takes care of the child. Mark begins in an entirely different way. When Mark wants to introduce us to Jesus, he starts off, he passes over the whole Christmas story and right into the, the coming of John the Baptist and how God had foretold that in, in the prophet Isaiah and in the prophet Malachi. God had a plan, and, and John was preparing the way for Jesus to come. And then Jesus kind of blasts on the scene. And then yesterday we looked at the Gospel of Luke, and, and Luke begins it with, well, kind of a survey of this is what I'm going to do. There's a lot of people who have done stories, and I'm going to do this too because it seems right to me so that you, most excellent Theophilus, may know with certainty what's been promised to you, what you've been learning about. He wants to help people, including Theophilus, but others who read his work, to know who Jesus is so that they can grow in their knowledge of Jesus and the assurance of what they believe in. Which brings us to John. John the fourth of the Gospels and a, a, a beautiful, beautiful passage. One of the high marks of, of all literature. And we have, a, again, a very different account and a very different bringing of what this looks like and what it's all about. If you have a Bible, you can take it. We're going to be reading John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. And it goes this way. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. 
the true light that gives light to every man, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Again, this, this, this piece of scripture is, is so beautiful in all that it, be, it describes. And, and, and it starts even in a way that's familiar to those who would be familiar with the scriptures. In the beginning... To any Jewish person who would have read this, they would have been drawn immediately back to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And John, as he begins this introduction to Jesus, as he wants to tell you about his friend and, and what's important about him, he is, he is writing to a situation where people have all kinds of ideas what it's about and all kinds of competing ideas for what is truth. And so he wants to lay this down carefully and, and specifically. And so he uses some words that are generic or bigger in ideas to bring it closer to who Jesus is. And so he starts off with this concept of the word. In the beginning was the word. A word the word word had meaning both in, in Greek and, and Jewish culture. For the Jews, obviously, the word of God is, is an important thing. And throughout Scripture, the word of God is that which does not come back void. It has power. It, it goes forth and does what it's supposed to. It never ends, the word of God. But in this culture that John was writing to, those who were Greek, this idea of the word, this, this idea, this, uh, uh, a world of ideas and, and things that have big impact in our life. And so... Immediately he's saying, catch this. There's big concepts that you know about. I'm going to describe this to you and how all of this comes together. The Word and the God are connected. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. There's a connection. And, and however he's going to get there, for your first time reading it through, he's like, okay, what is this Word? Obviously this Word and this God to this writer, somehow these are all connected. And he'll tie that up later. But then he begins to describe in, in some detail of what the actions of this word was. Through him, meaning the word, and so through him, the word has some kind of personality now. It's not an it. It's, it's got some kind of personality. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. 
what is going on with this word, the word? Something big and huge. And as John brings this story together, he's saying, again, pay attention to this. Because in these first 18 verses, he's laying out the whole of what this Jesus is about. He is connected with God. He was God. And he was creating. He was there at the beginning creating. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. This light being a metaphor for the spark that is us. We use this phrase, coming into the light, as a way of describing, I've discovered something, or I understand finally. Finally, I'm able to see the light of what's going on. I get it now. And... And it's this word which, which gives us this spark to live and breathe and, and, and discover this world that we've been placed in. The word in God and the word in creation. But we see in this description as life comes forth that there's also conflict. Things are not all great, it seems, because as this word comes to the world... And it has a messenger, John, who was a witness for it. Somehow the world in darkness is not getting the light. Many did not discover and know who he was. The world did not recognize him. As we think about life, we're, we're, in, we're in a world now where, where many are just wondering, what is out there? Uh, there there's many who, who claim to be atheists and don't believe in, that God exists at all, but there's many more who are just wondering, what is there? I mean, there's, there's something bigger than my life, certainly, but what is it? And what kind of control does it have in my life? Should I pay attention to it at all? Or am I, am I in control of everything? And as John, coming from his Jewish background and, and coming into the experiences he has with this Jesus, he's trying to help people see there was confusion about this word. He's not identified him yet. But there was confusion in the world. It didn't recognize him. Who is he? What is he doing? What is he about? And, and yet within this still is an, a promise and assurance of those who have come to faith, who have realized who he was. Again, this writing doesn't happen in a vacuum, right? Uh, no one's like, oh, I wonder what this is about. Uh, people who are reading for this first time, they know that, that John is going to be talking about Jesus and, and, and giving a story about this. They know who John is. He's one of the, the, the disciples of Jesus. He was one of the, the three closest friends that Jesus had. And so he's writing this book. Obviously, he's going to be talking about Jesus. So what does he have to say about them? What is, what is there for me in this, in, in discovering this story? And in verse 12, it said, To yet to to all who received him, through those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent or of human decision, but born of God. This story is going to be about how we become part of God's family. 
We talk a lot about Christmas time being times of family and remembering our times together, and we have great traditions in our families. I'm sure you've practiced some of them already this evening with a Christmas Eve dinner, or you'll be practicing them tomorrow morning with celebrations. Family is good. And John's saying, yeah, God who created all things created family and welcomes people into his family. And that's part of this message in this story as well. But this word also becomes flesh. Again, these are mysterious things he's writing, right? The first time you're reading, you're maybe, what is the word and flesh? How does that all, what? The word is now alive. The word is now alive. The word becomes flesh and makes his dwelling among men. And, and he speaks about what life is all about. And the glory of the one and only. That phrase, the one and only, John uses that phrase several times as he writes this biography of Jesus. Uh, in some, it's only begotten, uh, but the, the best translation is one and only, his one and only son. The one and only. This is Jesus. And he's become human. He's become flesh just like us and lives a life here in this world. Moses would have been familiar to many people. Maybe you've heard stories about Moses. He's an Old Testament character, and, and he, was, he was a guy who helped the Israelite people escape a place of slavery. And John connects this word with Moses and then identifies it as Jesus the Christ. And that it is with Jesus Christ, his rescue comes through grace and truth. Calling us to himself with blessing after blessing after blessing. And his last verse says, no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only who is at the Father's side, has made him known. John's story is is about revealing who God is and how Jesus reveals who God is to us. With all the questions and ideas we think we may have about what God is all about, John's saying Jesus is going to be the one who points the way to us so that we can know who he is and what it is to live this life that he's given us. To live in, well, his light. Again, that metaphor that he he describes again and again. This light that comes into the darkness. What does it mean to know God? What does it mean to live life? What is this all about? As I mentioned before, we're in this. Uh, if you have come to faith in Jesus, you're in this story, yet to all received and those who believe in his name. We have a part in this. But what does that look like? I, uh, I have this book called Christmas Stories for the Heart, which has just filled with wonderful, wonderful real-life experiences of people living their life and discovering Jesus in places they didn't expect. Jeannie Williams 
writes this. Last December found me filled with the holiday spirit and doing some extensive, elaborate decorating. Our home was part of a Christmas open house tour sponsored by the woman of our church to raise money for a local charity. During the tour, one person noticed the small nativity scene on my desk and admired its simplicity and loveliness. After examining it more closely, though, she noticed the empty manger, and she asked, where's the baby Jesus? Her questions brought back memories of the year I purchased the broken nativity set. I was very bitter and disheartened that year because my parents, after 36 years of marriage, were getting a divorce. I could not accept their decision to part, and I became depressed, not realizing they needed my love and understanding then more than ever. My thoughts were constantly filled with childhood memories, the huge Christmas trees, the the gleaming decorations, the special gifts, and the love we shared as a close family. Every time I thought about those moments, I'd burst into tears, being sure I'd never feel the spirit of Christmas again. My children were afraid there wouldn't be any snow for the holidays that year, but two days before Christmas, it began to fall. Beautifully and quietly, it came during the morning, and by evening, it covered everything in sight. I needed to go into town to buy some ribbon and wrapping paper, but I dreaded the idea. Even the new fallen snow stirred memories of the past. The store was crowded with last-minute shoppers, pushing, shoving, and complaining as they grabbed from shelves and racks, not bothering to put unwarranted articles back in place. Christmas tree lights and ornaments dangled from open boxes, and the few dolls and stuffed animals, toys animals, reminded me of neglected orphans who had no home. A small nativity scene had fallen to the floor in front of my shopping cart, and I, and I stopped to put it back on the shelf. After glancing at the endless checkout line, I decided it wasn't worth the effort, and I made up my mind to leave when suddenly I heard a loud, very sharp voice cry out, Sarah, you get that thing out of your mouth right now. But mommy, I wasn't putting it in my mouth. See, mommy, I was kissing it. Look, mommy, it's a little baby Jesus. Well, I don't care what it is. You put it down right now. You hear me? But look, mommy, the child insisted, it's all broken. It's a little manger, and the baby Jesus got broke off. As I listened from the next aisle, I found myself smiling wanting to see the little girl who had kissed the baby Jesus. I quietly moved some cartons aside and peeked through a space between the shelves. She appeared to be about four or five years old and was not properly dressed for the cold, wet weather. Instead of a coat, she wore a bulky sweater, several sizes too large for her small, slender body. Bright, colorful pieces of yarn were tied on the ends of her braids, making her look cheerful despite her ragged attire. I continued to watch as she clutched the little doll to her cheek, and then she began to hum. Tears slowly filled my eyes as I recognized the melody. Another memory from childhood, a a familiar little song. Away in a manger, no crib for a bed, the little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. She had stopped humming and was softly singing the words. Reluctantly, I turned my eyes to her mother. She was paying no attention to the child, but was anxiously looking through the marked-down winter coats displayed on the bargain rack near the end of the counter. Like her daughter, she was rather shabbily dressed, and her torn, dirty tennis shoes were wet from the cold, melting snow. 
In her shopping cart was a small baby bundled snugly in a thick, washed-out yellow blanket, sleeping peacefully. Mommy, the little girl said, called to her, can we buy this here little baby Jesus? We can set him on the table by the couch and we could... I told you to put that thing down, her mother interrupted. You get yourself over here right now or I'm going to give you a spanking. You hear me, girl? But mommy, exclaimed the girl, I bet we could buy it real cheap because it's all broken. You said we ain't going to get no Christmas tree, so we can't buy... Can't we buy this little baby Jesus instead? Please, mommy, please. Angrily, the... The woman hurried toward the child, and I turned away, not wanting to see, expecting her to punish the child as she had threatened. A few seconds passed as I waited tensely, but I did not hear a sound coming from the next aisle. No movement, no scolding, just complete silence. Puzzled, I peered from the corners of my eyes and was astonished to see the mother kneeling on the wet, dirty floor, holding the child close to her trembling body. She struggled to say something, but only managed a desperate sob. And the little girl seemed to understand her despair. Don't cry, Mommy, she pleaded. Wrapping her arms around her mother, she nestled her head against the woman's faded jacket and avidly apologized for her behavior. I'm sorry I wasn't good in this store. I promise I won't ask for nothing else. I don't want this little baby Jesus. Really, I don't. See, I'll put it back here in the manger. Please don't cry no more, Mommy. I'm sorry too, honey, answered the mother finally. You know, I, I don't have enough money to buy anything extra right now. And I'm just crying because I wished I did, it being Christmas and all. But I bet old Santa is going to bring you them pretty little play dishes you've been wanting if you promise to be a real good girl. Maybe next year we can get us a real Christmas tree. How about that? Let's go home now before Jackie wakes up and starts crying too. She laughed softly as she hugged her daughter and then kissed her quickly on the forehead. The little girl was still holding the doll in her hands. She turned to put it on the shelf, glowing with anticipation. The possibility that Santa might bring her a set of dishes was all she needed to be happy once more. You know what, Mommy, she announced excitedly. I don't need this here little baby Jesus doll anyhow. You know why? Because my Sunday school teacher says baby Jesus really lives in your heart. I looked at the nativity scene and, and realized that a baby born in a stable some 2,000 years ago was a person who still walks with us today, making his presence known, working to bring us through the difficulties of life. If only we let him to share in the glorious wonder of this holiday celebration and to be able to see God in Christ. I knew one must first experience him in, in the heart. Thank you, God, I began to pray. Thank you for a wonderful childhood filled with precious memories and for parents who provided a home for me and gave me the love I needed during the most important years of my life. But most of all, thank you for giving your son. Quickly, I grabbed the nativity scene pieces and hurried to the checkout counter. Recognizing one of the sales clerks, I asked her to give the doll to the little girl who was leaving the store with her mother, explaining I would pay for it later. I watched the, the child accept the gift and then saw her give baby Jesus another kiss as she walked out the door. Once again, the Christmas season will be approaching Christmas, 
a time for rejoicing, a time for giving, a time for remembering. And that little broken nativity scene I purchased now graces my desk every Christmas. It's there to remind me of a child whose simple words touched my life. We can come to the Christmas texts, the introductions of Jesus that we get in the Gospels, and they can just be stories that are stories. All right, it's Christmas. Okay, yep. Okay, there's a Luke one. I got it again. Okay. Yeah, there's, okay, there's Matthew. But behind that is the story of God's amazing love for you. Another place that John uses this phrase, the one and only, is in his third chapter. Where he writes that Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Jeannie Williams, in the midst of a difficult time, and stress dealing with her mom and dad, separating, bitter, disappointed. And yet, the reminder of God's love, even hard to difficult times, brought to her by a little girl in a store. God appears in different places for us, doesn't he? to remind us again that there's more. More than the disappointments that we're enduring. More than the struggles we're having in whatever relationships we're having. The losses that we've faced. There's something bigger. That in the beginning was the word And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And He brought life. And you are that life. And He brings light to this life and offers that to you. And so we remember this time of year, God came to earth. He became flesh. He became real to show us, to reveal to us This is your God. He's not distant. He loves you. And through the course of his life, demonstrates that through his care, his healing, his work with people's lives, but ultimately by his death, his sacrificial death on our behalf. A death that he defeated, rising again, ascending to heaven, and demonstrating to us new life is possible. And that's what we remember this night. This is the beginning of that story. John introduces us to that story because it matters. This matters. We're going to close with the singing of Silent Nights. 
Well, thanks again for listening. And to learn more about how you can connect with Bethel Community Church, check out our website at islandbethelchurch.com or join us for a service Saturday night at 6 or Sunday morning at 1045. Hope to see you soon. God bless you.